I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello and welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. All eyes are set on the Stade de France tomorrow. Matt, it's going to be an absolute cracker, isn't it? Uh, gee, what a what a game we're looking forward to. Two teams, best teams in Europe, you've got to say. One, one and, and two in Europe, in my opinion. France one, Ireland two. But it's the attitude that both teams take into their games currently that's just, just looks so exciting. It's both playing really attacking, open, positive rugby. They've both had great success in the last six months and they're going to play the same way. I believe it looks dry. Quinny will give us a better idea of that uh, later on, just on the forecast. I can see it looks like it's going to be dry. Packstad de France, full of the tricolours flying. The Marseille's been sung. You know, it's just going to be one of those great days for the players and for us. Looking forward to it. Alan, this is what it's all about as a player, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think uh, it's incredibly exciting. I think a lot of these players have been to Stade de France before and had success and won there. But um, it's uh, it's it's certainly one to look forward to. I think particularly with both sides kind of uh, riding high at the moment and being being full of confidence and self belief and great excitement about their team. So um, yeah, the Six Nations always has a special special feel to it and. These are the two favourites for the tournament. Um, one of them will go on and put themselves in in this uh, Grand Slam position. The other, it's it's uh, that kind of dream is over for them. But um, one to look forward to. There's no doubt about it. I think everybody's excited about it. Matt, the big news, Joey Carberry starts at 10. Johnny Sexton injured. Joey's first Six Nations start. It's hard to believe. What a big, big day for him. It, it is hard to believe it's his first Six Nations start. Stu, I was just looking through his stats there, and he started in 2016 in that famous victory in Chicago against New Zealand. He came off the bench that day, and he was only 21. Now, that's 2016. I I just really was taken aback that this was his first Six Nations start. But it tells you the adversity the young man's gone through, and I, I really admire him. There's no doubting his talent. His confidence will be down, but... Look, I think in the long run for Ireland, Irish rugby and for Joey, this is a blessing in disguise. It's sure it might make tomorrow harder. You're losing one of Ireland's greatest ever players. So there's no doubt about that, that that's a blow. But in the long, what if what if this is the quarterfinal, the, the, the Tuesday before the quarterfinal at the next World Cup and, and Johnny goes down? We need Joey to have had time in the saddle. So in the long run, if we take that big... We get up in the helicopters and we fly up and we look at it. This is going to be a bonus for Ireland in the long run. The second part of that is I just think Joey's going to play well. I just think 
he, he's at the point where he's played, I think it's 28 tests. He's, he's obviously played for Leinster in a lot of big games, Munster in a lot of big games. We know his talent. And he's had this horrific run of injuries. I just think the young man's going to say, you know what, bugger this, I'm just going out and doing it. I think he'll be relaxed. And if as long as he just eases himself into the game, Stewie, I was saying, and Alan might be interested in this, you know, my I was always given great advice. At the beginning of a big game when you're a 10, a young 10 especially, best card you can play is a tour of clubs. It's the lowest card in the pack. Just do your job. Catch, pass, kick. You've got a good listen to your inside centre. Be guided by them and build into the game. And if Joey can do that, I think Ireland will go well because Ireland aren't going to change the way they're going to play. Ireland are going to play the same structures, do the same thing that they did last week. And Joey's going to fit into that system. And, and I think... It's not going to be the train smash that a lot of people are, are feeling. And I think it, definitely in the long run, it's a plus. But I also got a feeling in my guts that Joey's going to go all right. And I hope he does. Alan, do you agree with Matt there? Do you think Joey will go well tomorrow? Um, yeah, he has the ability to be, to go well. Uh, no matter how good you are, um, it's still a very, a very big challenge for any player. Even for Jonathan Sexton, we saw two years ago when... Ireland were beaten 35-27, I think, um, in that game that was on in October during the pandemic. It was the Six Nations was postponed. How difficult it can be when you're playing against the French side who um, have that bit of X factor and, and can create and, and show signs of sublime play as well. So um, Matt is right, I think, for, for Joey Carberry, he's just got to do the basics really well. And, and part of that basics is defending because they're going to send Mofana down that channel. Their back row are going to try and run at him. And and he's got to be strong and, and robust there and do the basics well. I actually think the way Ireland are playing and trying to play and that change that we've seen will suit Joey Carberry because he is someone who, um, he's, he's very calm. Um, it was one thing that stood out for me a number of years ago when I met him how relaxed and chilled out he was and how he just takes in his stride. He's very composed and he's a lot of confidence and self-belief in himself. He's been incredibly unlucky with injuries. Um, I think it's it's just he's had a bad run. I think there's supreme talent there and, and this is a great opportunity for him to, to, uh, to perform. And it's incredible to think it's his first start. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. It was an alarming kind of a stat because we would assume when you've 26 caps that um, he would have started one of the games or a couple of games over the years. Uh, it hasn't happened. And, you know, I think it's it's a tough challenge for him. But if his teammates play around him, they can certainly help. I think Bundyaki was outstanding last week and he's going to be very important to Joey inside, the type of delivery Gibson Park gives him. And... If the game kind of opens a little bit and if Ireland are kind of running this attack that we've seen from them in November and last week, I think that will suit Joey Carberry and um, he is a very, very talented player. So it just depends what kind of pressure France put him under. And something that France do a lot, and this is a real Sean Edwards ply, is they try and send a runner out of the defensive line to get at the fly half. Um, a lot of the time that's Dupont off phase because he's so quick. And he times his runs perfectly. So they're going to send Dupont flying out of the line, trying to get up into Joey Carberry's face. And, and it's just how he deals with that pressure. And, um, you know, I really, really, really hope it goes well for him because 
if Ireland lose this game, you know, will we be going back saying, well, Johnny Sexton was the reason? But we're going to have to live without Johnny Sexton in the not too distant future anyway. Um, there's no uh, there's no guarantees going forward. He's been an incredible player, and you know, I expect him to go to the World Cup and and keep keep the level that level to get to get to the World Cup. And we know how good Johnny Sexton has been, but we're going to have to cope at some stage without him. And this big debate that's gone on for a long time about the gap between Johnny Sexton and the rest, well, we've just got to get on with it. And this is a this could be a great thing. If Ireland were to win this game, there's two ways this can go. It can go bad and we can end up blaming Joey Carberry, um, which probably will ultimately, if it happens, will be unfair because it'll be a team effort and there'll be certain things that happen in the game if Ireland don't win. If they win this game, well then see the reaction that can come out of that so it's it's you live by the sword and die by the sword in international rugby and there's a lot of pressure on joey and as i said he's a very 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 talented player and i really hope it goes well for him matt it must be so frustrating as a player you know for everyone to say the gap between joey or jack carney is so big compared to johnny sexton how does a player like in a fly half deal with that yeah well it's 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 very um, unsettling uh, because you, you you can see players are going in and out of the team. Now, I think if Joey was fit, he's, as Alan said, he's had this horrific run of injuries. If he didn't have that horrific run, I think he would have been the number two, clearly. Um, and that's, in my opinion, why he went to Munster. He felt he needed to go to Munster and, and you know, play games regularly to prove that he was uh, equal to or better than uh, Johnny. Now, he's just had a bad run. If we come back a little bit, I will answer your question, Stu, but it's a big indictment on our, on the selectors since 2016 that Joey has not started a game. Now, I know he in the Six Nations. I know he's been injured, and I know it hasn't been easy. But this is exactly the type of poor long-term selection policy that Ireland have done since 1987 when the first World Cup was on. So Joey came in in 2016. That's that, that's six years, and they haven't given him a start. Now I know he's been injured, and I know he hasn't always been available. But what? How ridiculous is it that our number two out half, the guy that we're relying on, that everyone believes is number two, and despite all the greatness of Sexton, we've got to have a number two, has has had no starting time in the Six Nations, not even against Italy. I mean, that is really poor management, long-term management of our players. And that's part of the reason we don't do well at the World Cup. And I will come back to it, Jim. But if you look at, at Gregor Townsend, what Gregor Townsend's done this week, after winning in Wales, he's changed his whole front row around. His, his starting front row from last week were on the bench and his, his bench front row is starting. That's how you give people time to learn. You've got to do that. Now, it's it's worse for the guys behind Joey. you know. And, and we've got the Byrne brothers, we've got Billy Burns, and we're back to, to Jack Carty, and Jack was at the World Cup, didn't do as well, was dropped. So those guys, they have their confidence smashed on a rotating basis. They drop one, bring the other one back, drop one, bring the other one back, drop one, bring the other one back, and they just keep going in a circle. And, you know, I, I think it just knocks their confidence around. Uh, and and eventually I think they lose self-belief, and I, I do believe that. It would be very interesting to see how Jack Carty goes. And I hope he goes well. He's, he's played really well for Connor. But we've got to suggest that our long-term selection policy and how we're we're managing the out-halves below Sexton over a 15-year career has not been 
up to the standards required. Alan, do you agree with that? Do you think the selection policy hasn't been right over the last couple of years? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure really. Um, I'm, I'm not crit- disagreeing with Matt, but I'm just not sure about what the right thing to do is. Um, my own experience in being involved in, in, you know, with Munster for 15 years, you know, you had Ronan O'Gara, who was world-class and became world-class. Um, out halves just don't grow on trees, you know. If you look at, and I've made this point, I think Rod retired in 2013. Um, there's six A schools teams in Munster um, over, you know, that's over ten, nearly 10 years. Um, and throughout his career, he would have played for 14 or 15 years. So if you take a fifth average at a 15 year period, that's six fly halves a year on each team, um, maybe they're backups and then take the other schools. So you're looking at maybe a hundred fly halves who've played at that time and in the school, that's just in the school system. And I've seen no Ronan O'Gara come through or anyone at that level. Um, so it's amazing at times that it's just down to luck it's down to quality it's down to just these type of players um they're hard to to find and they're hard to to replace when they leave the top quality ones because they're such influential players so um i think there has been um definitely an ambition to try and um bring more guys through and you know we've seen a lot of good fly halves play in the 20s i think the most exciting in recent years for me that i've seen and he can disagree or the listeners can disagree is Jack Crowley. I thought, you know, he, he, and I still believe that he has that bit of spark, that physical presence, that size, that footballing ability to, you know, to get up to this level, but, um, unique players, um, O'Gara, Sexton, Humphreys, you know, I played, played with all these guys, um, go back to Tony Ward, Ali Campbell, you know, they don't just grow on trees, fly halves of that, that nature and that quality. So, um, the policy around selection, I think there's certainly plenty of players have got opportunities, but the, just the quality and the, and the level of quality that's required um, hasn't been there. Um, do you write these players off and say, well, look, if they don't make it at 21, 22, 23, that they're not good enough? No. Like Jack Carty, I think, is 29 now, and he's had a bit of an up and down um, trajectory with Ireland. But I, I still believe what I see this year is um if he played on the, on the irish team or even comes on tomorrow that he's 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 capable of of doing brilliant things um the same with carberry so it's um it's a difficult question but like i say um you know harry Bourne, ross Bourne, there's 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 lots of very very talented guys and you look at someone like ross Bourne, who looks so comfortable and plays so well with leinster and then we've seen him play for Ireland and he hasn't had the same kind of impact or results. And I know Ireland went through a difficult period, probably 2019, 2020. It was, you know, 18 months or two years have been difficult. Um, so it just depends on timing, players around you and stuff like that. But ultimately, when you see these type of guys, they, they're, they, they don't come around very often. If we bring it back to tomorrow, Matt, Alan were, or Ireland were so good against Wales. Attacking rugby was brilliant. What type of game plan can we expect tomorrow? Well, I don't think Ireland are going to change. I hope they don't because the only way you're going to go to the Stade de France and win is outscore. You, 
outscore France. And to do that, you've got to have that attacking mindset that they've had the last, since November. You know, the game against New Zealand, Argentina to a lesser degree because the opposition wasn't as good. And then, you know, to beat Wales in that emphatic uh, style that they did, knowing that they weren't perfect, that they left 60, uh, left, you know, probably three tries. They could have scored up to 60 points out there against uh, against Wales if they were as accurate as they could or should have been. If they take that to Paris, they got a, they got a show. They got a show. They got a red hot show. If you had said to me last June, "What's the score going to be in Paris?" I'm going to say France are going to win this game going away. Since then, the Irish attack's been a revelation. It's been a, as Shane Horgan said on TV there the other week, this wasn't an evolution. It's been a revolution. It's gone where it came from, how they decided to change. It's 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 just so been so radical, but it's been great. It's great to watch sexy rugby, but it's successful. They're winning games. They flogged New Zealand. Like they didn't just. This wasn't a, a penalty goal in the last second to boot them. They outplayed New Zealand in every department. I've rarely seen that. Rarely seen that over my lifetime. Seen New Zealand lose, but not outplayed. Now, if they take this to Paris, because it's a fifteen man game, they've got to show Ireland are not perfect. Their wingers are jamming uh, in, in defence, and they're not getting that right all the time. Last year, that's where France took Ireland apart at an empty Aviva. So if if Ireland, the Irish wingers don't get it right, they'll be in trouble. They'll have a hard day because France are going to play on the extremities. And once France get behind you, and usually it is on the extremities, they've got great support lines. And you saw the tries last week. By Villiers, he, he, he followed Aldrich through a hole, bang off his shoulder. You saw Dupont and Fano on the on the right side. Fano makes a break back to Dupont. Dupont back to Fano. Try when they get in behind you, their their support lines and their ability to to finish off that break is excellent. Probably close to the best in the world with New Zealand. Now, if if the Irish wingers get that wrong, they they could be in for a hard day. But in attack. That's they've got to score the points because France will give you points as well. France, the French defence has has been very much improved under Sean Edwards, but it's not perfect. They leak a lot of points. They win games, but not they don't. They very rarely win them by a 30, 40 point blowout. Apart from Italy, they're sort of closer games. But it is a growing French side. So look, it's away from home. It's it's an Ireland haven't played have played nine games straight at the Aviva. They haven't had. But these players, many of these players haven't played in front of a hostile away crowd. And let me tell you, it's hostile in Paris ever for Ireland. And that might, the other guys haven't done it for years. So it's advantage France on every front. Advantage France, advantage France, benefit. That's where Ireland like to be. And they've got a show. It's going to be tough, but they still got a show. Alan, Ireland, welcome back. Henderson and Robbie Henshaw, big, big boost for them, isn't it? So much experience. Yeah, it is, and they're they're power powerhouses. They're uh, they're strong. They're mentally strong, physically strong players. They're two British and Irish lines, so it's it's a huge boost. Um, big blow, Johnny Sexton being out, but having these two guys off the bench um, will be really important. I think um, you know I spoke about the physicality last week, and they're two very physical players, Henshaw and, and Henderson, and they're big game players. So they won't be daunted by this. Matt mentions, you know, some of these players haven't played uh, in a while in front of big crowds. But there's 
and maybe they haven't experienced the, the Stade de France, but like when you look at the Irish team, Furlong, James Ryan, Ty Byrne, Josh van der Fleer, um, Aki, Ringrose, Conway, they, they've all been here, they've played here, they've won here. Um, there's a couple of players like Doris and Ronan Keller who probably haven't, Hugo Keenan, um, but they're, they're, they're players that just, I, I don't think they get daunted by by uh, by the task. They'll be very, very aware and conscious of the power that France have. And if you allow any French team play, um, you're going to struggle because they can be just, they can be outstanding. Dupont, Intermac, they're the two that, that can create something out of nothing and they can cut you wide open. And they did that two years ago in that game, that kind of championship decider. But then when you look at Scotland last year, in that last Six Nations game, it was kind of crazy that just the way they played and the way they beat France in the end and stopped them winning a championship. And um, I just thought that, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out. Um, you've got to really make France go to, to kind of that pain threshold, pain barrier and test their work rate. Are they going to work as hard as you for long periods of time? If you allow them uh, get through you after one, two, three, four phases, if they get line breaks and little offloads that Matt was talking about, the, the Aldred Villiers one last week, it's soft. They capitalise on that and they usually punish you. Ireland have got to make it really, really difficult defensively. And I suppose the impression here from lots of people is we're going to get two attacking sides going full throttle. Well, what usually happens in games like that, it's, uh, it's a game of penalties and no tries. So uh, we'd still happily win that game. But um, it's about rolling up the sleeves here, being really physical. And I think that Ireland, um, even though Galtier was saying this week that they've analysed Ireland a lot and vice versa, both sides were a bit rusty last week. Um, I just think their ability to hold on to the ball with Ireland gives me confidence that they will force penalties or else they will, they will um, you know, get, get line breaks. The worrying concern is when we don't have the ball. Can we get those impact tackles in? Can we win those physical collisions adequately enough to to stop France? Um, and that's the conundrum, really. Yeah, Matt, Alan talks about the physicality there. An area the French against the Italian team last week was so big was at the breakdown. They just hit the Italian breakdown so hard and turned them, up, turned them over, didn't they? Uh, they did. You know, um, Alan was pointing it out to me last weekend that when France were taking the forwards, were taking the ball forward, they were like doing, it was one player running forward and you're thinking he's going to get turned over, he's going to get caught. But against the Italians, the physicality of just the one guy by himself and one support player clearing out was enough to secure the ball. Now, I'm pretty certain Ireland will have analysed that. I know they would have. And if Ireland can get two-man tackles in, or three man and try and slow that ball down or get the penalties. Like we know what Ty Byrne is like over the ball. We know that uh, Kelleher is very good at it. Kona is very good at it. Porter is very good at it. If they can get over the ball a few times and disrupt them, that's great. But what Ireland have to watch is on the reverse. Um, they were France were leaving Jalons out on the on the in the flanks, right on the wings. And when the Italian wingers or outside centers were getting tackled, he was hitting those rucks like you would not believe. There was one uh, ruck he hit, and it's him versus four Italians, and he won. 
he won that. He came in and, and eventually other French players came in and they got a turnover about um, a couple of seconds later that led to a French try. And I think that's where they're going to attack Ireland is the physicality when it, when the ball goes wide. Because Ireland are moving the ball wide, which is great. But our wingers aren't the biggest men in the world and neither is uh, Hugo Kernan. So we've got some small dudes out wide. They're brave and they're strong. I'm not questioning any of that. But I think that's where France will really target Ireland at that power play in, in, in there. The other interesting one, which I like Quinney's opinion on, Paul O'Connell's designed probably the best defensive line out in the world. Statistically, it is the best defensive line out in the world. What And what France did last week at the beginning of the game, they just threw the two in the line out. They did a fast one and they kept throwing a two and because the Italians were defending the middle and the tail. And what it forced the Italians to do was to change. They had to come and then defend the front. And, of course, that opens up the middle and the tail. So it was really smart line-out tactics from, from France. And when you got DuPont at nine, who's got this unbelievably powerful pass, he's still hitting his 10, five, six, seven metres outside the 15-metre line, even though it's coming off at two, off the line-out. So th- there's a battle of tactics going on. Yes, there is power in the breakdown, without doubt. And I think France might have a slim advantage there. You know, Phil... Furlong and these boys aren't any shrinking violets. You know, they're, they're going to be going at this as well. They're powerful dudes as well. But it's it's this whole tactical uh, battle that's going to go on between the coaches, the, the, the whole coaching staff. Alan said about Sean Edwards sending DuPont up. No doubt, no doubt, I believe that's going to happen. He did it last week. DuPont swung around as a sweeper on the first play. Then he came into the line and hit um, uh, the Italian 10 behind the gain line. So there's all these little mini subplots that are going to be fascinating to watch. But I think especially the line-out, and I'd, I'd love to know what, what Al thinks might occur there. Yeah, yeah, Alan, yeah, Alan, sorry, a final one for you on that. Do you think uh, Ireland will be able to match the French physicality, and what do you make of the set-piece situation? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think they will be able to match. And look, on, on, on some days you, you, you get more than parity. You know, this, this team, Matt said it, yeah, I think Porter, Keller and Furlong can be the best tight uh, front row in the world. Um, they've shown glimpses of that. We know Furlong is probably the best tight head in the world. He's all-around game. Keller, to me, has just become um, a great player for this Irish side. Is there a, a weakness sometimes maybe in the line-out throwing and you get better in that over time? Porter such a wonderful player around the field. He's going to be up against Antonio, who is incredibly big, heavy, um, he's still adjusting to, to that loose head position again and getting used to playing at that level. So um, they're very, very incredibly physical. James Ryan and, and, and Ty Byrne, they're not the biggest second rows in the world. Uh, Willem says is someone who, who does a lot of damage for France, particularly if you're trying to maul against them. He just breaks up your maul. He's a very powerful scrummager. Small things that maybe we don't see and some people don't see. Um, I think our back row is probably as good, if not better, potentially, um, even though it's a very, very good back row of, of, of Aldrich, Jalanch and, and Cross. Um, so there's, it's just, it's a small little difference. Uh, Marshawn is a superb hooker. I think he does, um, gets his hands in on so many breakdowns and slows ball down, wins penalties. Sirabai is a really good carrier as well. So, um, we're probably lacking a kilo or two in some some areas there, but I think 
it's a very hard abrasive pack of forwards Ireland have now and uh, they're all footballers they're all good ball carriers so the key to to, to playing a side that you're work, you know there's there's concerns about physicality is um, and their efficiency at the breakdown has been superb I think Paul O'Connell has made a huge difference there in bringing in you know the template that they would have had under Joe um, where there's accountability there's understanding of your role in the breakdown and they're really effective at that so that's got to be top notch and then it makes that physical side you know much easier one thing that i think really helps you um from a physical point of view is not soaking tackles and when i say soak tackles that friends are not getting over the game line because that's when they just get a yard or two in behind you and the breakdown is quick Dupont and Intimac get their hands in the ball. That's when they do special stuff and they can really hurt teams. So I think the impact tackles and the collisions are really vital. Um, is it a major concern for me, the, the physicality? No, um, it's not. But it's one of the big strengths of this French side is their size and their physicality. And, you know, in, in matches we've struggled in the last couple of years, when we were, Ireland were going through a difficult period, um, sometimes we were overpowered. Galtier has come out and said our intention is to overpower Ireland and you know the 6-2 split would indicate that as well mm. yeah yeah big words from Galtier it's going to be a real cracking test tomorrow mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Moving on, Matt, Wales v Scotland. Surely it's set up for a Scottish win, but then when you think that, it never happens, does it? Stewie, this is uh, the games that Scotland traditionally lose. They just come off a great win. They play really well. They should win this next game, and that's usually when they break your heart and they don't. So I actually think Scotland can win this. I think it will. Let me come back a bit. I think it's a really pivotal game for this Scottish side. They've talked themselves up. There is no doubt it's the most talented Scottish team since they won the last time in 1999. So, but, but each time, like last year, they let themselves down on games they should win. They beat France and England away, and then they blow... Uh, uh, blow the game against Wales at home. Now, Stuart Hogg's talked it up. Greg has talked it up about that they've learnt. This is where the rubber hits the road. Now, uh, they've got – Greg has made a few changes. As I said before, he swapped his front rows around. I, I actually think that's a good move. I think it's smart rugby. And that replacement front row is huge. It's big and going away from home in Cardiff. You know, to start one, they're losing anything. 
They've changed their centres. Johnson's gone out and Tupaludu's come in. Again, I think that Johnson was – we hardly mentioned his name in the in the call last week. Again, that's a, I think that's a reasonably positive change. So I, I think Scotland are in pretty good shape. And as I said, that's when they'll lose. So it's a, it's a day for this Scottish side to grow up, to mature, to take responsibility. And even though this is a poor Wales side and they've got a few injuries, uh, Dan Bigger's 100th uh, and Jonathan Davies returns on the bench if he gets on, and I'm sure he will, it'll be his 100th cap. So they've made some changes, some for, some not. But when you go to Cardiff, every single time you go to Cardiff, that's a tough day. It's one of the toughest places in the world. The atmosphere is incredible. But it's tough because the people lift their home side. So uh, I think Scotland should win, but as I said, it's a big day for them to grow up and mature. If they lose, then we just got them back where they were last year. They're just so unreliable and inconsistent. Alan, as Matt says, it's a big, big day for Scotland. Is Gregor Townsend and his team, have they matured enough? Can they back up a win with another win? Um, Yeah, they're capable of it. The last time they won in Cardiff was when, Matt? 2002. Something like that, mate. 2002. No, they won in, in, in practice. Give it for me. They, they, they won in Park the Scarlets in October 2020 when the, you know, the... the, the you want to see nations. my scars from Cardiff? You want to, you want to yeah. see them? Um, so, look, it's... it's it's it, Wales, Wales are going to have their backs to the wall, really, aren't they? Um, Wayne Pivak is under a lot of pressure again. Um, they're still missing so many... Um, so much experience and, and quality internationals. Um, you would think that Scotland are the team that um, that will be full of confidence here. They'll be buoyed by the the win against England last week. And um, but it's a hard one to call. You can never write Wales off. Um, the problem for Wales here is if they end up losing this game, their next game is away in Twickenham, um, and then you're looking at. A bit of a disastrous situation for for um for 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 wales they will be at home to france in round four so i think that this is a must win game but uh, you know it sounds very obvious or else the whole six nations will be a disaster for them if they can get a win against scotland they'll get some mitigation for all the players that were missing last week in dublin um and you know he's made some changes he's brought in jack morgan at seven uh, for his first cap, a really top quality player. I think he was he's been really good for the Ospreys this year. Uh, he's put Tane Bashup to number six. I think their back row were totally outplayed last week. Bar moments we saw from Basham how good he can be. I think he's a really exciting player, but I think that ultimately they had to make changes and they're short in midfield, you know. Um, um, Josh Adams is out, Owen Watkin comes in there. Um, but when you play Wales in, Car- in Cardiff, it's a different ball game. Matt said it about the atmosphere. But on paper, I think Scotland are a team that can go here and win. Um, they've made changes across the front row, but I think bringing in Schumann, Stuart McAnally and WP Nell, well, they're very, very strong players and they made a big impact last week when they came on the field. So, you know, even if you reverse back to Sutherland and Turner and, and Fagerson, it's he's now six players there that's given them a little bit of a steal, a little bit of an edge that they've lacked before and some depth there. But on paper, I think it's Scotland's to lose, really. 
Yeah, Matt, uh, touching on Wales there, were you surprised how poor they were last Saturday in Dublin? No, I wasn't, Stuart. I think we're just starting to see the results of a lack of investment in the uh, their provincial sides and their development sides and how uh, hugely that has deteriorated over the last 10, 15 years. And it was it, they were buoyed. I think Gatlin held it together. He's coaching and he had a very good generation or two of players come through. And behind that, you could see this massive hole. And last year, there was sort of some tape put over it. Um, they, they got out of jail. Again, Wales, that is, got out of jail against Scotland, but they should have lost that. No one thought they were going to win the championship. Scotland beat France in the last seconds. But, but, but everyone goes, oh, Wales are incredible. And they were. They deserve it. I'm not suggesting that. But all of us could see the cracks and the problems there. And we were astounded that they kept finding a way to rise above it. But I, I, eventually, if you're not investing enough in, in your uh, t- junior talent, it's going to fall apart. It's like, it's like, it's like having, having a, a brewery. If you, if you don't start investing in the raw products, in the malt and the crops, eventually you're not going to run out of beer. And that's what's, that's what's happened in, in, in Wales. And I, I think they're in for a difficult few years. Um, like they, they probably went through in the late 90s uh, and then again uh, probably in the early 2000s until they really started to get their act together. And just, I think Gatlin gave them a full sense of security and we're just seeing some reality start to bite. Um, I, I actually, the, the scenario that Alan just put out there, I think will occur. I think they will lose to Scotland. Um, therefore, I've just put the kiss of death on Scotland. I do think they'll lose to Scotland and I think they're in real trouble. They'll beat Italy, uh, but that'll be about it, I think. Well, we will see. Alan, let's take a look at Sunday. We had to Rome. Um, Italy take on England. England obviously disappointed. You were at Murray Field. Were you surprised at how they played? And I suppose losing that game, that's got to hurt, doesn't it? Yeah, it does hurt. And I think um, what will hurt most is the um, is the is the manner in the defeat. Um, I, I, I think they tactically they got it wrong. They kicked away. Too much ball. Um, they didn't take their opportunities. They weren't ruthless when they got into that Scottish twenty-two, and and obviously the, the big talking point was was um, you know the their inability to to close out the game, and then of course the talking point is that is the the Luke Cowan Dickey sin binning penalty try in the end. It, it just it gave life Scotland a lifeline back into the game um, for a team that. To be fair to them, were very, very competitive the whole way through, and I'm not saying that England, Scotland stole it. They didn't, but they didn't really have a lot of pressure on that English line at any stage. The try in the first half from Ben White was was brilliant. So the Darcy Graham, um, and then the penalty try. That's that's 14 soft points that England conceded there, and Scotland were brilliant at the breakdown. Fagerson was outstanding. Um, Hamish Watson, just the amount of tackles they made. Um, so. Yeah, big blow for England, but no one to blame but themselves. And in the end, you know, limped out of Murrayfield, I think, with lots of regrets. Matt, where do you feel this England team is at at the moment? 
if you consider the first half of that game, the possession and territory statistics were as one-sided towards England as you will ever see. At one point in that first half, and I'm not saying after 10 minutes, after about 25, 30 minutes, Scotland had scored a try and they'd had one ruck within 40 metres of the English try line. I mean, and England had like 35, 40 rucks in the Scottish half. And for all our talk, and I was part of it, I praised up Marcus Smith for all the talk about him uh, before the game. He was poor. He scored a very good try in the second half because he hit the ball flat. For the vast majority of that game, he was so deep back in the pocket that just, and if you're deep, it just draws the defence to you. It's the exact opposite of what Ireland and Sexton are doing. They're hitting the ball and they're flat. And I'm sure that that Joey will do the same thing. And being flat, called game line theory, puts pressure on the opposition defence. Him being so deep just allowed the Scottish defenders to pick off the guys outside him. Alan hit it on the head. Their tactics were poor. Their game management was poor. And they should have had a lot more points in that first half. They weren't out of the game. But, you know, they need uh, Tuolagi back in that side like you wouldn't believe. They got no go forward in that in that uh, uh, the three-quarter line. Smith has got to come up flatter. He's got to be brought forward to run onto the ball and, and be square. But there's another part to this, mate, which is before the game, everyone's talking up the English Premiership, what they're doing over there. And listen, I keep saying this. The English Premiership is poor. Look at what the Irish provinces have done to it. And they all get ahead of themselves. And this is always England's downfall. They always believe they're better than they are. And they had a bit of a reality check there. Tactics were wrong. Play was wrong. Their key decision makers were wrong. Maro Atoje, their leader, did, you know, I know he wasn't captain, but he's their leader. He's their, he's their talisman, their spiritual leader up front. He gave away penalty after penalty after penalty. He was poor. And I know he's a great player, but he was poor. They got a lot of things wrong. And, and they have a new coaching staff. Um, Scotland picked me. Scotland scored two tries from set play. So, in other words, they hit midfield and came back off a line-out because they knew there weren't enough English defenders. If you come back at England off a line-out, they didn't have enough defenders. And then what they did off a scrum, they went wide and came straight back. Again, they knew England didn't have enough defenders out wide off the scrum. All that was there was the entire English front row. So England were out-thought, out-coached, out-played, out-passioned, and the individuals that can win games on both sides were, were completely... Outweigh the Scottish guys played really well and the English boys didn't. They, they got a lot of work and a lot of thinking to do, England. A lot of work and a lot of thinking to do. Yeah, a lot of work indeed. Alan, what about the Italians? Give them any chance at all on Sunday at all? Uh, they showed glimpses uh, on, on Sunday against France. I think uh, the crossfield kick from Garbisi for the first try, um, they exposed a you know, they tried to play, and to be fair to them, they were very, very aggressive and physical against France. Um, but, you know, it's difficult. England have met six six new faces in the team, a um, few positional switches as well. Um, Don Brandt, you know, he's someone that I, I, I has been superb for, for Harlequins in the last couple of seasons. Um, he comes in, um, but 
there's a lot of familiar faces there. I think Itoje in the back row, and Matt said it, you know, he gave away a lot of penalties last week as, as he does so much good at times. Um, it's not a, it's, it's, I think Italy can, can, can play well here. They can, um, but ultimately, are they going to be good enough to sustain enough pressure to break down England and get tries in Rome? And unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. Um, I think they did show glimpses, as I said, against France and Paris. Uh, but I think it's going to be a difficult one for them. But who knows? There's a little bit of uncertainty in England now. And I think they can make it quite difficult. And they've usually made it difficult in Rome for most teams that play there. Um, so it's not going to be a route for England, I don't think, in any 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 form. Um, but the problem for Italy is just those mistakes that they continuously make when they do so much good in their defence. Someone just steps out of the line or is a little bit soft in the tackle, and and France exposed them last week when they got to multi-phase. Matt, a quick word on your favourite player at the moment, Paolo Garbisi. How did you feel he got on last week? I thought he did some really good things, and. Um... You're only as good as a ten. You're only as good as the pack in front of you. And you know, if you look at you look at one of the reasons we're raving about about the two uh, teams that are going to play tomorrow, France and and Ireland, they're playing attacking rugby because their forward packs are laying down this brilliant platform so their backs can get involved. And I thought when the Italian uh, pack early in the game were really taking it to France, and as Alan said, were very physical. I thought it brought Gabusi into the game. Beautiful kick. I thought he had some other great touches in the game as well. And and he showed he's tough. He got a bang, got a cut in his cheek. You know, the, the, the guy got up and moved forward. He's getting better and better and better. And that's what Italy need. But it doesn't matter how good your 10 is, um, Stewie, like it's exactly what Alan said. Uh, Italy defended much better than they, they have in recent seasons. But again, at the crucial moments, just just only take four errors and there's four tries against the, at international level. If you fall off four tackles, there'll be four tries against a team like France, and that's what unfortunately Italy did. the The score line wasn't a true reflection of of what Italy did, how they attacked, and and what how they played. For example, as I said before, Gabuzzi, you know, they did some really good backline plays that came off Gabuzzi through great passes. Good thinking was attacking thinking. Then they get out to the flanks, and you get the French overpower them at the ruck at the, at the flanks. They couldn't capitalise on what they're doing. But I saw improvement in Italy, and I think Garbusi's going to be like Dominguez was at the turn of the century when Italy were beating teams regularly. Garbusi can grow into this talismanic figure within Italian rugby that can kick his goals, lead them around the field, and and produce some positivity. But no 10 can do it without a good pack in front of him. And, and that pack, the, we forget, the Italian pack, when they were winning games at the turn of the century, they had a good pack. They had a lot of good players in that um, in that, in that uh, eight. And that's where they're getting beaten. The guys up front are not making the tackles and the centres occasionally are not making the tackles. But Garbusi, he's progressing and he's going to be a good player. Yeah, hopefully he has a big, big future ahead of him. Lads, favourite part of the week, predictions? Alan, we go to you. What are we saying? Oh, in all three matches, um, yeah, Scotland, uh, France, and England. Oh, he's gone against Ireland, have you? Well, and I Matt? went. Yeah, I went with um with, on, on the, the highlight show with Joe on Sunday night. I said uh, Ireland. 
But I just think with sex and out, um, it makes a big difference. I think we're going to go very close, and I'll happily eat humble pie if Ireland win. And I think they still have a great chance. I just really hope that if we don't win in France, that we, we're, we're not asking too many questions, that it's down to France's quality and that we turn up and perform. Uh, like I said, no surprises for me if Ireland win this game. I'm really confident they can go very close. And yourself, Matt, are you agreeing with Alan or are you differing? We, we haven't spoken and uh, we're word for word. Yeah, I think Scotland, England, and I've I've swung like a pendulum all week. France, Ireland, France, Ireland. But I think with Johnny out, I, I just think uh, France are going to have too much in the end. And their their bench, you know, like it's it's there's too many factors against Ireland, but I'm like Alan, Ireland Ireland are in this game. This is a really really close game, and I hope Ireland prove us all wrong because what what we're talking what I'm talking about. I know I know Alan's trying to put this across as well. We're talking centimeters. We're not talking meters. We're talking centimeters. France are going to be better by centimeters as far as all the all the things we can judge from a distance. But there is no way we're riding Ireland off. And if Ireland lose, and Ireland's absolutely right, this is the game I thought they would always lose. They can beat England and Twickenham, but France, are, France are going to go close to winning the next World Cup. This is this is not the France from ten years ago or five years ago. This is a side that is standing toe to toe with New Zealand and South Africa. This is one of the best sides in the world. So if Ireland lose and just lose, there is no disgrace in this. Ireland have made great progress. And just because they lose one game doesn't mean that progress drops off. It, it's going to be very close. I hope they win. But I think all the all the things we can measure, I've got to say, France. Great stuff, man. Well, it's all set up for a big, big weekend, round two in the Six Nations. Thanks for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.